I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Blitz is defined as a sudden savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts. Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk Man, I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. That's right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and get right into it. We're getting you through the dog days of summer. We always have football mm-hmm. to talk here on Longhorn Blitz. And it's because of you, the listener, that we can talk football on Longhorn Blitz. Thank you so much for your continued support of the podcast. You can get it anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search Horns 24-7. That's the numbers 247. Smash together, no dashes, slashes, or spaces. When you find the Horns 24-7 podcast feed, click that follow button, and you get every episode of the Blitz when it drops. And if you'd be so kind on your favorite platform, please leave us a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate it. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? I am. I was numb after watching that baseball game last <laughs> night, but yeah. other than that, I'm good. Brutal. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty rough. Uh, a man who well, he's experienced highs and lows during his time being associated with the 40 acres. That was the <laughs> that was the 40-year decision, not the four-year decision, right, Rod? Damn right. Back in the day. Damn right. Uh, he could have he could have been an Aggie, but he he wised up and smartened up and made the right decision. Uh, he wears many hats for the Austin Radio Network, including co-hosting Ball Don't Lie with Mike Hard each and every weekday from three to seven. But for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. 
Lifetime long runner, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, in the 40 acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. I appreciate the intro, brother. And, yeah, shout-out to Texas baseball, man. That was it's a tough way to lose it. It's awesome a, season. It's brutal a great loss. season, but, yeah, that's that, – at, I don't know which, which way you want to describe it, heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, whatever, but that's – as a, as a, as an athlete myself, I really do feel for those guys, Some man. Some four-letter words. Yeah, because you can lose. I mean, you you know, obviously there's a good chance you're going to lose. You're playing up against really good competition. You're in the postseason. That's the way it is. Um, but to lose in that manner where it almost feels like, you know, it was out of your – you know, it wasn't, it wasn't out of their hands. Obviously, they could have made the play. But, I mean, this is a sort phenomenon in baseball where it, at times, depending on the time of day, depending on the lights – Things External get lost forces in the lights. at work. Yeah, the things get lost in life. It's just strange timing for it to happen for Texas. And the way that team had been mm. coming back from, you know, like being down so many times yeah, and then man. being able to fight back and then something that seems so simple but it's just sort of bad luck happens like that. Then man. it's just like, oh, yeah, season's done. That's how baseball go. <laughs> As a great man once said, Rod, yes. That's indeed. how baseball go. Uh, yeah, yeah, tons base. of games, and it comes down to one little play. Baseball gods run on Texas side. Not, not much of a consolation prize, but Dylan Campbell for his throw from right field for the 9-5 double play, he did get quote tweeted by Bo Jackson. He did get a Bo Jackson shout-out. So, that's true. hardcore. Which makes it all worth it. Honestly, I mean, <laughs> you told me at the beginning of the season that, listen, uh, you can play for the championship, you can play for the consolation prize of Bo Jackson giving one of your players a random shout-out on Twitter. I'd go, damn, it's a good consolation prize because yeah. <laughs> I don't think Bo Jackson really I, shouts out anybody. I've never heard no, of one. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't no, get a lot of shout-outs. No. So, yeah. Uh, you know, the best of the bad Congrats thing is Texas won't be in the College World Series. But the good news is the next sport. That gets going. It's Texas football. So we got that to look forward to. And we're always looking forward to Texas football. Guys, I want to bring something up. Uh, there's a couple of things I want to cover this week, but I, I want to start with this. And I don't want to bore you guys too much. Yes, we talk about the offensive line. I won't belabor the point too much because I can do that when we talk offensive line. But I was looking at some things, and shout out to uh, our national staff at, tw- at uh, 24-7 Sports. Uh, you can get a lot of these articles in the news feed at Horns 24-7. But they were kind of riffing on PFF ranked their top three returning offensive lines in college football. Mm-hmm. And again, pro football focus, it's not the be-all, end-all, but it's a lot better than what we previously had. They got Texas as the number three returning offensive line in the country for 2023. And I'm not ready to put that group there yet, but a lot of it's centered around the fact that you do return all five starters. Yes, you do. Uh, Christian Jones made vast improvements. Jake Majors did as a pass blocker. Mm-hmm. The fact that Kelvin Banks was so good. Cole Hudson and, and Hayden Connor didn't have great grades, but they were first-year starters. And one thing, Rob, that I don't think this group gets enough credit for is the fact that they went wire-to-wire 13 games with the same starting combination, the same five guys in the same five spots for 13 games. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, a lot of that is injury luck, too, right? We know how that goes. But, uh, that's yeah, that's impressive. I mean, that's no way we're getting around it. I mean, half of your job as a football player – that, you know, is to be available. Yeah, Availability yeah. is how, might be your most important ability as a player. Would you like to know how, how rare it is, Rod, that all five offensive linemen go wire to wire as the starter? In college oh, for one season? I, I looked it up. Rare. I went down the rabbit hole. And, mm. and in the UT records, 1992 is the first year where you're right. able to track game-by-game starters 
I know, that's annoying too. It's only happened five times in the last 31 seasons where Texas went wire to wire. That makes sense because, like I said, fifty percent of it is injury injury luck. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's just that's half the battle right there. And if you can get, if you can have, you know, obviously the football gods on your side because you're talking about a position where you have contact on every play. Mm-hmm. There is, you know, what I mean, yeah. every play, like that, heavy my, trauma, heavy exactly little car accidents on every play. The chances of you going through going through the season unscathed without any injuries that are going to, you know, take one of your offensive linemen out for a game or two is, man, that's just, it's rare. Yeah. And so for Texas, I can understand, we said five times in 31 years. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that that makes sense to me now, just, just doing the probabilities in my head. Yeah, yeah. That's actually more than I thought it would be. Whenever, <laughs> <It's a great laughs> and like when you talk about not only is the trauma, but then just like the bad luck of getting rolled up on. Like if you watch yep. NBA yeah. games, like you had KD go down with his knee injury with mm-hmm. getting rolled up on Jimmy Butler against the Knicks. It was Josh Hart just falling into his leg. Like, yeah, that happened in basketball. We're talking about in the NFL or in college football where there's 60 to 80 plays, you're yeah. doing that. You're talking 40 per on offense and doing it 16 times. Hell, I, I watched Elijah Rodriguez in a preseason shells practice one time get rolled up on in a short yardage drill. We didn't see him again until the bowl game. Exactly. All yeah. it takes, and all it takes is one play. Yeah. It's one little freaky play like that. And yeah. that, that is pretty amazing. And that's, that's like when you talk about like modern, you know, practices and not as much contact, but then having to be able to keep that physicality when you get to game time. So it's almost like the hardest position to get full practice without it jeopardizing your health, but then you almost need it to be able to perform so well. So it's just that delicate balance. that We talk about continuity all the time and how key it is, and I know that uh, it used to be tracked in the NFL. I remember it was Mike Golick Jr. was talking about the con- lack of continuity on offensive lines mm-hmm. and how few of teams are ever able to have yeah. it go year to year. And, like, I don't even know if they track it anymore since, like, 2017, but there was, like, a couple lines that had been able to go more than one calendar year for like a whole decade prior to that. So for Texas to get that collegiately where like not only is there transfer portal, but then the chan- uh, you only have a chance for it to happen three or four times because the kid's going pro. So to have that in college is real rare. Yeah, yeah I, you could say this for a lot of positions, but I feel the same way about offensive line as I do quarterback. You can never stop stockpiling that position. You can never think you've got enough because when you think you've got enough, that's right about the time that, something happens and then you realize you're up the creek without a paddle because you don't have enough bodies. You always have to be recruiting talent, developing talent, mm-hmm. especially the offensive line because guys are you, – you, it's hard because, like, for centers and, and tackles, you need guys that are specialized to play a certain position, but they also need to have the flexibility to be able to move around so you can yep. maximize depth. Uh, I just want to run down the lines, though, for Texas that have done it going wire to wire since 1992 over the last 31 seasons. It happened in 92, John Makovic's first year. Hey. Troy Reamer, Alan Luther, Turk McDonald, Jeff Boyd, and Blake Brockermeyer as a freshman right tackle. Uh, 96, Texas won a Big 12 title that year with Octavius Bishop, Ben Adams, Ryan Feebigger, the great Dan Neal, mm. and Jay Humphrey. The 98 line, which is good as Ricky was, doesn't get enough credit for the job they did. Octavius Bishop, Roger Raisler, Russell Gaskamp, Ben Adams, and Jay Humphrey. Okay. 2005. Probably, in my opinion, the best offensive line in school history. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Scott, Casey Stutter, Lyle Sinline, Will Allen, Justin Blaylock. And then last year, Calvin Banks, Hayden Connor, Jake Majors, Cole Hudson, Christian Jones. I think about the offensive line is this. 
uh, if there is movement from year to year, you're at the point now where it's not going to be because some of those starters take a step back. It's going to be because DJ Campbell or Cam Williams or Nato Mayazulu are taking steps forward. You're Rod, you're not at the point where you've got first world problems on the offensive line, but you're, you can see that on the horizon if the trajectory of some of these guys starts to trend upward. Um, yeah, I mean, because at this point, you know you have your bona fide proven commodities, your starters all coming back. But as you pointed out, the truth is you have probably three potential upgrades. Mm-hmm. If you just look across the board at, at the ceiling, at the upside overall yeah. of these players, and a lot of the guys that are sitting behind the starters right now, their upsides right now are a little higher than the starters who are proven potential. So now it's about rate of development of the guys behind them. Like how fast and how quickly are they maturing uh, in the weight room, you know, their their bodies and the technique, their fundamentals. Because if their rate of development right now is something that you could project is going to surpass one of Mm -hmm. the starters, you can just put them in rotation right now and almost kind of let (laughs) nature – take its course, if you will. Yeah. Because those guys ultimately, you know, I always, you know, if you if you see a proven starter who's been here for a long time as a veteran um, and a guy behind him and their rate of development is, you know, similar or at least the guy, behind, at least the younger player uh, seems to be surpassing him in rate of development, like the other starter is not getting better or doesn't have the consistent baseline. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can easily see them making a move, not not before the season starts, right. during the season as the season progresses, yeah. if there is drop-off on that O-line. And I'm not saying that you know, the, the O-line is going to be an issue, but I could easily see one of those guys or maybe two of those guys having you know an underwhelming start to the season and then coach deciding, all right, let's see if one of these youngsters can be an upgrade. Yeah. And then once, once they put them in, he just leaves no doubt that there is an upgrade. Yeah, that Alabama game is going to be a really good proving ground for that because yep. those those other three guys, Cam Williams, DJ Campbell, Nato Mayazulu, if, if one of them's not starting, doesn't because I think DJ Campbell probably the closest guy, even though he did have the surgery, he's probably the closest guy to being able to take a job in camp. I still think it's oh, going yeah. to be Cole Hudson, but he got enough run with the first team in the spring to make you think he can go take a job. Cam Williams to a lesser extent, but uh, if those guys aren't in starting positions for the Alabama game, they're they're going to play in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I mean, the rotation will be seven or eight guys anyway. So yeah. there will be a rotation of guys. The hope is that ultimately the stockpile of talent they have in an offensive line to the last two recruiting classes they signed with 12 of them so far, right, total, mm-hmm. um, is that it will almost be like when I was at Texas and DBU started stockpiling talent like, you know, Michael Huff, Cedric Griffin, Aaron Ross, started stockpiling that talent. But instead of those guys overtaking – the older guys, they just pushed us. Mm-hmm. They just pushed me. It pushed Ahmad Brooks. It, you know, I mean, it pushed Nathan Vasher. It just kind of pushed that group, you know, what I mean, to be better. Quinn Jam was he was going to be great regardless. Uh, yeah. But other guys, it just pushed us, and they didn't take our jobs. Yeah. And to me, that's kind of how you start the the healthy cycle. All right, yeah. of stockpiling talent. No, no, no. They're pushing those guys in front of them to be the best they can be. But those guys are fighting like hell for their jobs, like I was, to not let the guy who I know I can see has higher upside than Rod B. I can see Michael Michael Huff and Cedric Griffin have higher upside than me. I mean, that's plain as day to anybody who has eyes and who knows any football at all. But 
it's my damn job. And as long as I perform and produce at a higher level than those guys, and I should have an advantage as a veteran, mm-hmm. all right, who knows the system and who's been in it longer, um, as long as I can produce and cons- consistently have my baseline of productivity be at a really high level, I'll keep my job. But it's got to continue to be at a really high level. A coach is going to start looking at that, that guy behind me and going, all right, let's see if Cedric Griffin can do better than Rod B. Yep. They never had to ask that question. You never have to ask that question. And that's, that's what you would like. You would like for Kyle Flood never have to ask the question, eh, let's see if DJ Campbell actually is an upgrade. Let's see if Neto's an upgrade. Mm-hmm. You, don't, that, you don't want to have to get to that point. If they have to get to that point, then, I mean, it's one of those guys that the starter has either regressed or is underachieved. That's when you get to that point of talented depth that we talk about and where you're talking about performing at that consistency, and that means that the staff has done a good job at developing the talent oh, yeah. to be consistent, but then you can have that talent that you can see flash behind him, and that's just whenever you're able to marry together that depth and have a type of roster that you can survive an injury here or there, some bad luck to come across because you're able to fill in those gaps when needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about the offensive line and just give them their props and the fact that that – We've had podcasts where we've talked about the offensive line at this time of the year, and the question mm-hmm. was, can can you find five? Are there five guys that are capable of filling out a starting unit? And, boys, there were some years where it was a struggle. Mm-hmm. We, we yeah. were like, okay, well, I don't know, maybe. And now – You couldn't even scrimmage. No, you probably – You can have a spring game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now like you're, when Sark now, took over, yeah, he even did. Now you're probably going to go into the year with – at least eight guys. Like we had it in the insider at Horns 24-7 last week. Internally, they feel like there's eight guys, again, those five starters and the three guys I mentioned, that that whole bit that I know coaches hate, like if you had to go play a game today, what would it look like? They feel like if they had to go play today, there are eight guys they feel really good about putting in a game on the offensive line. And I don't. it's been a long time since we've talked about the depth of this caliber where you're bringing back every starter on your line. So take that into account. It was the last time that happened. That's rare on the 40 acres. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, like you said, then you add to the fact your research, you went rabbit holing that those guys actually went that, you know, game to game, every game last season, they actually played as one cohesive unit. That's just rare considering injury luck. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, how often has Texas been able to recruit these caliber upside offensive linemen in a two-year cycle and potentially have upgrades that are actually behind them. I mean, you might be going mid-2000s since the last time we've talked about all those kinds of things, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean, coming together. Mm -hmm. A confluence of the the, the veteran experience, the high upside guys in the recruiting cycle, the upgrades, and also the continuity they had with that group. I, there's no way we've been there in the last 10 years. No, no way. for sure. So we got to go back to mid-2000s, and I, you might be going back around that time um, where you talked about, Jeff, where you said 05. Uh-huh. They had that group. They they played you know, every game, um, but think about even you know that 06 crop. Yep. You still got some really good offensive linemen still on that on that team. I don't yep. know if they're upgrades because 05 was legit. <laughs> I don't know if they're yeah. upgrades. But still was group, co- some continuity yes, with Lyle and with high Casey. quality NFL caliber linemen. So that, that may be the last time you're talking yep. about this, this, like I said, this perfect storm of possible optimism <laughs> surrounding yeah. the O-line. And if you were talking about any unit in all of football that you would want to have continuity to return, 
Like it may probably would be the O line because oh, they're the no one that question. they're married together yep. the most. Like the way I've brought it up before, but it's the most similar thing to having a group of five players on a basketball court. You can't just throw your best five individual players out there because they aren't going to fit. There's only one cup of usage that can fill up, mm-hmm. and you got to be able to fill the other needs. And like saying basketball, it's rebounding or the ability to defend. Well, with the same thing yep. with offensive line. The skill sets all have to be married together. It isn't just the five best individuals because you might just have five left tackles out there. That doesn't make any sense. Mm. You got to have ones that are able to cover up the other one's weaknesses or understand other strengths and be able to work together. So having those five on the line and having that continuity may be more valuable than any other position group that you do have it to bring together, which is huge. And, like, when you – also, you brought up DJ Campbell. When you go look at uh, PFF's just grades, because if anything last year, the one place at times that you could see some glaring holes that would impact the offense would be Mm -hmm. pass blocking. And if you look in the top 100, according to PFF, pass blocking grades – the only guy inside the top 100 is DJ Campbell, wow. and that's a guy that's he didn't he had a lot less snaps, but he was up there. Jake Majors was 104th, but those are the only two guys in the top 200. And then you have Logan Parr's 10 snaps done at 198. But having DJ Campbell be a guy that could be that ability to be a six man that can fill and plug the yeah. holes because then you might have to move another guy around to make him fit but if he can perform at that level it'd be really big yeah. i felt like, like they that. had a chance to have that in 2013 because they brought back that offensive line with like dom espinosa mason walters mm-hmm. trey hopkins donald hawkins and it was initially josh cochran even though josh had started having the shoulder issues but remember you had that class where you had like Darius, Darius James, mm-hmm. uh, Kent Perkins, Jake Rollerson, or Rami mm-hmm. Hamad, uh, Desmond Harrison, a.k.a. Sasquatch. And I don't say that demeaning. I say that Sasquatch because we heard about Desmond Harrison. We just never saw him. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I felt like you had – Didn't he transfer and, and get a shot in the league? Yeah. He, remember yep. he missed, his, he missed uh, a spring one time because he got shot. Had a bullet like graze his leg. And he missed spring ball. <laughs> Getting shot and still making it to the league yeah, is always an accomplishment. Just, yeah. <laughs> Shout out Dennis Williams. Shot talent. still made it to the league. I'm a beast. <laughs> and and let me take this time to remind the listening audience that uh, a guy who got shot that played the same position Rod did once got drafted over him. Dennis Weathersby. Dennis Weathersby. <laughs> Oregon State. I remember it very well. Yeah, Harrison sticking. played for the Browns and Cardinals. Not like, yeah. No, he, I remember him in the league, and I'm like, dude, that. That guy actually did have NFL potential. Is that not mm-hmm. like the ID Bengals pick back then? The ID Bengals pick, like, oh, he got, I got shot. He got some edge to him. Coach, he got, <laughs> he got shot. shot. Like, he's, tough. he's in the hospital right now. <laughs> nah, like, I like my guy's little edge to him. <laughs> Live on the edge, play on the edge. A little too much edge. He went over the edge, coach. He got shot. He got shot. Yes. Um, <laughs> Rod, I'm looking at this, but I'll, I'll tell you the uh, the era where it really flipped. It wasn't 2013, Rod. I don't know why I'm going to ask you this. You got any Matt Trissel fun facts you can share with the listening audience? No, not any fun facts, but, I mean, I, I remember Matt Trissel really well. Matt Trissel was a good dude. I still I actually hung out with Matt Trissel a few years ago. He came on the show with me and Ken once. Yeah, Matt really? Trissel's a good Yeah, dude. he's a cool dude, man. Love me some Matt Trissel. I mean, got it. he would have, it's weird, almost like wrestlers, he would get a bloody nose 
<laughs> a lot. And I don't, I, I don't know what it was. I guess as a fullback, he'd end up getting a bloody nose. There was always that kid that would get nosebleeds. Like, I remember, I don't know if it was nosebleeds. I think he would, like, like a wrestler, like, he would get, like, an injury. Oh, what? Like, at the top of his nose. Yeah, like, it, it was, was a cut. Because his helmet and being a fullback. It wasn't a bloody no, he wasn't, I got you. He cut his head bleed. open. It would, like, yeah, like wrestlers, like, he would cut his like right there where the like kind of where the, the face mask like opened yeah. up and like he would get cut right there but where your forehead kind of meets your your Matt nose Trissel getting some that's juice a, that's putting his nose he into would it. always get, I don't know I think it was just like yeah, kind of a I don't know for him maybe he cut it once and it just kept coming opening but I remember multiple times him coming to the sideline having like blood. <laughs> On his face, I'm like, like you got why are you bleeding? On your face, <laughs> and it's like that's that's kind of football he played, man. You ever seen like old wrestlers like like Dusty Rhodes when he was alive had this, or like you ever looked at like Ric Flair's forehead, like just all the old calluses and stuff. Yeah, that's kind of what this was. Yeah, and yeah. it's like I think you can kind of open those up at any oh, yeah. time with just like a injury, and he. I said most, but he should take a picture of that. Make really cool now. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get to the point in just a minute. But Rod, Rod, I'm looking at the 2002 game by game starters. I just I'm going to run down a couple of your teammates. You just tell me something about him. You want to play this game real quick? A couple Let's of some of your former teammates, Chad Stevens. Yep. What do you mean? What am I saying about just him? just anything that comes to your mind? Just uh, a, uh, I just saw him actually not too long ago. He went to he was at Cleve's funeral, unfortunately. Um, not unfortunately for him, but obviously, unfortunately, mm-hmm. sad that Cleve passed away. Uh, Chad, yeah, Chad Stevens was he was an old school tight end, uh, old school tight end, meaning they won't they got him more as a blocker than they were as a pass as a pass receiver down the field. Now you wouldn't even recruit guys like that; they'd move him yeah. to some other position mm-hmm. potentially. He's Andre Carrick or something. Yeah, like they <laughs> exactly they'd put beef on him. He's and a make six him so aligned. Uh, how about Robbie Dome, right? Uh, Robbie Dones started multiple seasons for Texas. Mm-hmm. Robbie Dones had a player. really good game against Julius Peppers. In yeah, Robbie Dones was a good player. Man, started multiple seasons here. Solid contributor. Let's go. Let's go defense. Miguel McKay started uh, BGL. Man, Miguel had great ball get off. Started three games. That great year. ball get off, man. Yeah, he actually was. We would put him in on packages to because uh, he was undersized. Mm-hmm. He was undersized and strong. Mm-hmm. Almost reminds you ever see uh, you know you ever see Jacob Henry. Yeah, yeah, okay. he's very built, much like Jacob Henry, okay. and that he's low center of gravity. Had really good BGO, and he was strong as hell. So that's kind of a nightmare for uh, in unathletic interior offensive linemen. And he had great BGO. Say to put him in in pass rushing situations at times to put him in there. He's one of those guys at times. Speaking of yeah. uh, undersized man, one of one of my Longhorn the Longhorns from way back that I'm like, man, if this guy could have stayed healthy. Who knows what he could have done? And I think ahead of his time because of his body type of the position he played, Brian Pickerel. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that. He was kind of ahead of his time because now yeah. you can move a guy like that around. I know it was so weird back then, guys who they couldn't find position for, they called them tweeners, and mm-hmm. now you love guys like that. You can move and around. Pick just, I think he's a, is he a surgeon now, I think. I have Man. no idea. That's a good question. Is he a doctor? Or, no yeah. clue, but that's Real estate, yeah. Sophisticated. Something. God He's got man, some he some high flu job, but yeah, yeah he I'm was kid, kid out of Oklahoma who just I, I mean that, yeah. just started having shoulder, one shoulder injury after another. Rod Brian Pickerel's uh, college career is kind of like your NFL career. It's like you you get cut on once, and then it's like you just it once your body starts getting cut, it just takes you a little longer to recover from one, and then mm-hmm. longer to recover from the next one, and before yeah. you know it, you're you're behind the eight ball. And technology, I mean, honestly, the truth is, surgeries now. I know it, that that wasn't that long ago, but man, you'd be surprised oh, how yeah. technologically advanced now surgeries are, mm-hmm. and that's why guys can recover from injuries. Back yeah. in the day, they were considered 
career-ending mm-hmm. injuries they never recover from. Now guys have those injuries routinely. They come back. So it's – it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Probably got before his time, just couldn't maximize it at the time. Yeah. yeah. The All past right. decade's been crazy with surgeries. How oh, much yeah. quicker they've been. Exactly. Yeah, oh. but, well, AI's a big part of that, too. Mm-hmm. I'm going against that, but that's a big part of it. I'm done, I'm done asking you about your old teammates, Rod. Just some names I'm seeing on this list I haven't thought about in a minute. Oh, yeah. No, Logan fans appreciate that. Uh, Random, yeah. Nuggets. <laughs> name I didn't, dropping. I didn't think Lee – I don't remember Lee Jackson starting that many games. He started oh, Lee every game a except lot of game. Also got before his time. Remember, they moved him to linebacker. Yeah. Came in as a big safety when – People love big. He's like kind of one of the last big safeties that Texas recruited. Was yeah. Lee Jackson couldn't really wasn't a, wasn't a great. I mean, he couldn't run really well, but he's a great box safety. And back then, people were still recruiting big box safeties, and that's crazy. He, he you can actually kind of watch his career and the way that the air raid terraformed the Big Twelve, mm-hmm. and you'll see. Basically, he ends up as a linebacker by the time he leaves, and that's really the the air raid forced you to put a safety like that at linebacker. Because Air Raid was hunting safeties like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They had little quick guys. I remember the Air Raid was one of the yep. first. Mike Leach's Air Raid is one of the first offenses to actually start weaponizing slot receivers. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like literally looking for and a little, I want, I want a little quick guy. Yep. Yeah, because I want that big old box safety that the matchup was a little quick guy. He's running outs and he's running quick mm-hmm. ends. And that dude's got no shot. Yes. And that's essentially what they did. And you had to take those big box safeties off the field and put in safeties like Nathan Basher. Yeah. <laughs> and put in safeties like Ahmad Brooks. And then it went on from there. So that uh, Lee Jackson, I remember it well. Lee Jackson came in. He was one of, he was a starter. Actually, when I came in, because mm-hmm. you, everybody, we were still going up against Nebraska. They were running a triple option <laughs> when I first came into the Big 12. So, yeah, you need those box safeties. Mike Leach came into this this mofo and changed it quick, fast, and K State with uh, Beasley yeah. and then L. Roberson, they were still an option team. You need your safety to come down and, you know, lay the hammer down. But Colorado struggled with the forward pass. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> they were running, but they had those, uh, those two backgrounds. Chris Brown, big, yep. he said run upright. I mean, people still running the football a ton. It's but, funny. Man, it's... once Mike Leach came in, everybody saw the world differently once. They won the basically Oklahoma won the big won the Big Twelve and won a national title running yep. the air raid. It's funny, like the it's it's a perfect football dichotomy. Like the old Big Twelve South was like it was revolutionary and ahead of its time and uh, great athletes. And then the North, the Big Twelve North, it was just like oh, just Still like oh, let's play meathead football. They like, were, and oh, they, yeah. they won, and they won like half the time <laughs> <laughs> until Oklahoma came in with the air raid. And Oklahoma was like, no, 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 we'll dominate because we this is the future yeah. of football. And you, you couldn't win. Like, well, K-State kept doing it a couple of times. Yeah. K-State's They did little sprolls or something. They mm-hmm. did just somebody go off. Yeah. Damn, Rod, I don't remember Austin Sinline starting that many games. He started five games that year at DN. Uh, yeah. Austin Sinline started some games that year. Adam Dorn got a start at D-Tackle. But we never really got into dominant D-linemen at Texas for, for at least my era. Until, like until five. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Matt got it going. But oh, early on, Cam I mean, Corey Redding was like that one early on. But well, he was a linebacker and the guy had to and they go moved down. It down. And remember, we inherited Casey and Sean, so it made it seem like mm-hmm. you had yeah, a better crop of D linemen than you were. Actually we did. Remember we got Marcus Tubbs. Marcus Tubbs had red shirted and he came up later on. It was he was building it on the D line. It was probably this class right here because the freshman this year was Rod Wright, Larry Dibbles. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I remember Dibbles, yeah. You know, Pickrell was in that class. A guy boy, you talk about guys that were great high school players that were never the same after an injury. Marco Martin. Or Marco Martin was a I stud at Mesquite. Yep. Had a nasty knee injury in the mm-hmm. state championship game and just 
it it didn't come back. Yeah, Talking about no. freak athletes. You brought up Tubbs. I remember him oh. going out to pay spin He's and a jump. Tight end. He would jump off the cliffs <laughs> with us and do front flips. Like yeah. he was a huge dude. Yeah, and he was like doing front flips off of forty foot cliffs. Oh, no, when I visited Colorado, I went with Tubbs. Uh, we were on the, the same trip, and he was a tight end. <laughs> I swear, he was crazy. a tight end. He was a freak, man. He was a great athlete. I think when he on signing because I, I found y'all signing class info. I think they listed him at like. Six four. I want to say like two fifty five or two fifty something. He like took that. a while, so I, I, I'm sure he. Re- I, I'm not sure he registered, but I think he, he did. did. He yeah, because yeah. yeah. they just needed time. He's a project. He ended up being what a first round pick, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. That's all I uh, but uh, back to the offensive line. The point I was making about a half hour ago, uh, Rod. I think mm-hmm. this is where it happened because you look at the offensive line in two in two thousand two. Your starters. Now, granted, Bo Baker started a couple games. Mm-hmm. Actually, Bo Baker started several games. Yeah, Bo Baker's a good player. Um, but you had, and it looks like, I don't remember the 0-2 season, it looks like Jonathan Scott had an injury at some point. Derek Dockery kicked out to right tackle. Yeah. Bo Baker played some right guard. Mm-hmm. Tillman Holloway looks like he got hurt at the end of the year. My man. You put Bo Baker. You're a big Tillman. Oh, yeah, y'all came in the same recruiting class yeah, together, Tillman's didn't y'all? Yeah, good dude. Yeah. Some Tillman Holloway. Um, so you're started, basically your starting offensive line the bulk of the year was Robbie Doan, mm-hmm. left to right, Robbie Doan, Tillman Holloway, Jason Glenn, Derek Dockery, Jonathan Scott. And Scott was the young guy. On that line, yeah, I think three of those guys came in '99. Right? Jason Glenn, I think, was a sophomore at that point, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, Stuttered, Sinline, and Blaylock all redshirted that year. That makes sense. So you could tell, okay, this is the group now, but we're, it's about to be it's about to be on and popping with these young cats mm-hmm. we got in here. And then the following year, Blaylock broke in first, and then then I think it was Casey and then Lyle. And by the end of the '04 season, you, you could you could see where it was headed. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff with the Texas online. All right, guys, I want to finish with this. Uh, we got about 15 minutes or so left. Um, I do want to uh, – my man Tommy Yarish, who's doing a great job on video content at Horns 24-7. I know Tommy. Tommy sent us – Tommy sent me this, and, and I, you know, I help, I help my young cat out whenever I can. He said, need your opinion on rankings. He's done a couple rankings videos. He said, this time it's the 10 most important players for Texas this season. Again, you can do this multiple ways. Most valuable, best, most indispensable, however you want to couch it. Uh, most important. You want me to run these down 1 to 10, guys, and then we'll talk about just – actually, I want to go, you just tell me, you know, too high, too low, whatever. Um, number one is Quinn Ewers. No, he's a number one. Two, yeah. two is Xavier Worthy. Mm. Okay, I mean it. It can be. It could also be JT Sanders there too, in my opinion. Depending uh, on how you want to build the passing yeah. game and construct it. But three, three is Jalen Ford. I can see that. Four, Jonathan Brooks. Mm. I don't know about that because I think the running back is going to be a composite. I think it's going to be a, mm. yeah. you know what I mean? I think it's going to yeah, be I, a I think it's more of a complimentary thing. piece yeah, than a feature piece. it's going to be a running back by committee thing. Uh, Kelvin Banks at five. That's a name I would have like thought that. a little higher. He should be a little higher. Byron Murphy at six. Wow. Uh, JT Sanders at seven. Mm. Two should be higher. Jaron Thompson at eight. I like that. Yeah. Baron Sorrell at nine. You need an edge presence of some kind. And Isaiah Nayor at 10. I'm not sure about that because I'm not sure Isaiah Nayor is going to be your second receiver, second leading receiver, or your third leading target in terms of the passing game because A.D. Mitchell's now in the in yeah, the fold. J.D. Witt. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Jay Witt's in the fold yep. too. So I, 
Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily know if it's Isaiah Nate York's gonna be that guy. Maybe they're talking about the, his ability to be the deep threat, and we know how much Sark loves the deep ball mm-hmm. and he's obsessed with deep ball and how that really completes his offensive like ideology. And last year, X Men had to be both the deep threat and the feature wide receiver, and we all agree that was way too much of a burden on him. So maybe yeah. that's the point they're going he's going for. Yeah, we got a glimpse of it too, sticking to that position. It's gonna be really hard to keep Jonte Cook off the field. Yeah, that's another yeah, one. Yeah, you, you got A.D. Mitchell. From what I hear, it's going to be hard to keep him off. Yeah. Yep. And, and you got Jay Witt, who ain't coming up the field. He's the leader of the wide receiving group. And then his X-Men is a feature wide receiver. So you're talking about four potential starting wide receivers. And we ain't even brought up Isaiah Nayor. Yeah, and that's where I think that, like, <laughs> five. you can sort of come mm-hmm. and together. And J.T. Sanders ain't coming off the field either, by the way. Mm-mm. You can almost come <laughs> together, A.D. Mitchell and Nayor, whoever it is, that vertical guy, as one. But I agree that Worthy seems to be – even though last year was, say, a down year for his standards, he's pretty much of a proven product of what he is. And I think when he's put back into sort of the role he had been in previously, I'd agree that JT Sanders maybe be higher than those guys. The running back room is such a question, but I think that like if Kelvin Banks is really that impactful guy that it's going to make everything so much easier that I could see his value and Sanders' value being higher. And then, like you said, Ford is big, but then – you know, like that position is one that's almost more devalued, even though his ability to cover in this conference is such a big deal yeah. that that name made sense. And then the one at corner, I'm not sure just because like opposite Watts, I would say like you'd almost want to clump that position in together other than just saying that Brooks would be that high. Yeah, I, I would if I was going to add somebody. Terrence Brooks would be one that I would look into adding. I just think, he, and it's valuable not from the standpoint of him being a proven commodity necessarily. But Rod, you've talked about it a ton, man. If he can, if he can take the next step and really be the guy that's getting the the vast majority of the snaps at field corner, the skill set is there for him to be an elite guy mm-hmm. at that position. And I think, based on the other guys that are there, he's probably the closest to getting to that level where you could make a really nice pair with him and Ryan Watts. Yeah, there just aren't a lot of places to attack the Texas defense because they got a lot of proven commodities coming back. So that's one of the places that I think you would attack if you're an offensive coordinator building a game plan. Cornerback spot opposite Ryan Watts, you would attack that that spot. You'd attack the linebacker spot opposite Jalen Ford. You'd go after that spot too. So, like I said, once, you know, Jalen Catalan, and you know he comes into the fold with the safeties. That's going to be a really solid group. You're a cornerback with Ryan Watts. The boundary corner is going to be solid. Interior D line is going to be pretty solid. Uh, the edges is also some place where I would attack. Yeah, you know I mean, so you got like three places that I think initially offensive minds will attack Texas, just because it's low hanging fruit. I mean, why would you make? Why would you you know work harder when you can work smarter? So yeah. I just think that's. Those, to me, are the biggest question on defense, and whoever occupies those positions, to me, are arguably your most important players on, on defense because that's where the exploitation will start. The, the edge position opposite of Baron Sorrell, the more I think about it, I, I view that position in the same way I do running back. Um, I'm not worried about the talent at that position, but I worry about, hey, can you just can you just hold serve, basically? Like I don't need you. I, you. You can't. You can't be a detriment. I don't need. I don't need an All American at that position. You don't even need like an All Big Twelve guy. I just need that group to give me either either give me a wash on game day or just a, a little bit into the net positive and and you'll be good. Yep. I just can't. I can't have you hurting 
If I'm if I'm circling, I can't have you hurting me. Because then more can be paid attention to guys yeah. like Murphy. You don't necessarily have to. Those lines. Yeah, you don't you necessarily have to help me. Yeah. Weaker if they aren't. What right. Saying. Right. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to help me. I don't need you to be world beaters, but you can't hurt me. I agree with that. I, and I, I view running back kind of the same. Like I don't need any of y'all to be Bijan. I just got to have something. Well, to me, it's not about the running backs. I mean, I, I, I don't anticipate any of them ascending to an elite level as a freshman. Maybe they will. If they do, that should be found money. Yeah, that's fair. This yeah. running back, this this running game room, this running game period should not the success of it and productivity of it, in my opinion, should not be based solely on the talent in the running back room. This is on Sark's ability to mm-hmm. add juice to the running game with creativity and innovation, which he did not in the bowl game. He refused to. I have no idea what the hell he was thinking. We still don't know, all right? But he did not. He figured, oh, I'm going to run the same plays I run with Bijan and Rojo. Just going to run those with Keelan Robinson and Jonathan Brooks, and he was wrong. Miscalculation. Dang coaching mistake. And it's he okay. knew Jonathan Brooks wasn't healthy enough to play but a handful of snaps. And the way he divided those snaps was – Idiotic, to be frank. Yeah. Right? It's like, well, if you could, you were on a pitch count, then why the hell did you use up the pitch count that way? Anyway, but I digress. My point is, he should anticipate that is what you're going to get in mm-hmm. the bowl game. And sorry, what you got in the bowl game is what you're going to get from the running game. And he needs to add creativity and juice and innovation to the running game. And he did not do any of that in the bowl game. I got numbers, conceptual signatures to back that up. So that's what he needs to be working on right now. That's probably why he brought in Paul Christ. So God bless him for that. Yep, right. and that's, that's what the running game needs. Running game to be to, to assume that you're gonna get what you got in Bijan and Rojo, like we said before the bowl game, that is wrong. That would be misguided. Those guys were generational talents yeah. when it came to breaking tackles, forcing missed tackles, and yards after contact. Generational. I'm talking yeah. about once every twenty something years or so. Yeah. So don't depend on that. And that way you need to account for all the negative plays or what would have been negative plays that they turned into positive plays. Yeah. And you're gonna have all those negative plays actually materialize and come to fruition on the field like they did in the bowl game when you don't have Rojo and Beach on the backfield. So get it together, get in your bag. And that's where Sorry, get in your bag. You look at last year <laughs> and you'd look at the ability, like you said, the yards after contact, and that cannot be overstated because of the ability that turn a negative play into something that turned positive. And you saw what happened whenever you played up against a top tier D line and they're exactly. hitting you and even with your top tier backs weren't able to get the yardage that they're used to getting whenever they're able to dominate. Now, if you're going to go into it with lesser talent, it's going to be so much tougher that we'll really learn a lot because you talk about the devaluation of the running back and the way that even offenses view them as interchangeable pieces. We'll really learn a lot about that, our running back theory this season, because if you do have a good net around the entire run game and be able to use it well, you should be able to manufacture yards from it because you're able to get things because if you, say, have an above-average offensive line this year, which you haven't had in the past and have a passing game that may be able to allocate more resources of the defense to open up some holes instead of them otherwise, if you're deficient in the running game, being able to actually send those resources out to cover up against your strengths, which could make you even worse. Uh, you, piggybacking on what you just said, Rod, about the running backs, that kind of – solidifies my belief in that comparison to the edge. Because remember we talked about the edge group, again, that position opposite of Sorrell, mm-hmm. where it, it's gonna, it, it could end up being just opponent-specific based on who plays more. You know, If you're playing Texas Tech, you're playing an air raid team that wants to throw the football, that might be a week where you see more Ethan Burke and Colton Vosick. Could be, yeah. If you're playing a team that likes to play with heavier person, actually if you play a team that's a little more balanced, I don't know what's going to at you, maybe you just want 
Justice Finkley and Jamon Tapp, guys that, hey, I'm not going to freak out if they start running RPOs or anything. I, I trust those guys mm-hmm. to, to handle run or pass. Uh, if it's a game where a, an opponent wants to play with more of a surface, you play to Kansas State, likes to play with heavier personnel, uh, then at that point, maybe you say, okay, this is now where we, this Jare Bledsoe concept of him being a situational edge, situational is going to be about 45 snaps this week mm-hmm. just because of the opponent. Yeah. I think you do the same thing with running backs. Okay. This team is really susceptible to zone runs. Who's my best zone runner? Uh, we feel like our pin and pull schemes, our counters, mm-hmm. split zone is going to be really good this week. Who's my best counter runner? You know, my, my best guy on pin and pull stuff. Who's my best runner there? Because the one's going to take more. One's going to take more vision, patience, and one cut ability. The other one is more kind of just kind of see it and hit downhill. Like we talk about, Rojo and Bijan were really good at just about everything, but there were stuff where even they stood out a little bit more than the other one mm-hmm. doing certain things. Yeah, Rojo was probably your better power back, mm-hmm. and Bijan was probably your better zone back. But neither one of them had a liability in their exactly. skill set; they could yeah. do everything. So I just think you got a. I just think you got a money ball. The running back thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that, but it's got to be not just money balling it because I'm, I'm with you. I think that's part of it too. You got that's got to be a factor. But then yeah, he's got Sark. This this season is about Sark taking his coaching, you know, his coaching expertise to the next level. That's yeah. what it, it's a, a big part of it too. We're talking about the players and the personnel and the roster and all the upgrades have been amazing. Development has been on track. The culture right now is on track. If Texas underachieves next year, there's only like three or four reasons it can underachieve. Quinn Ewers' uh, development isn't as, you know, isn't, it isn't on track as expected. Uh, Sark is, he is the coach that we have seen and not the coach we hope him to be. Yeah. Right? He is actually that coach and mm-hmm. not the coach we have kind of projected him to be with the support and with the talent here at Texas. So those things happen. Or, um, like, there is some type of, I don't know, uh, drop-off, a serious precipitous drop-off somewhere on the team. Hard I, to foresee now. Could Maybe it's on the line. I doubt it there. Could be D-line D or defense. Could running be, back. <clears throat> could be running back. Like, it, whatever it is. Like, that's something. But there aren't a lot of ways yeah. to, for the season to go wrong and be, and be derailed. And I think most of it's going to come back to Sark. Because if it's the quarterback issue, that's on Sark. Yeah. yeah. As long as he's healthy, achieve, you that's going to keep be him healthy or yeah. develop the young guys behind him. Yeah. So, or if he has bad games that lose your game and then you decide, oh, I'm not going to bench that quarterback like you did last year because he's my guy, then that's on you. The only that's other one. Yeah. You, you Sorry, chose right. that. That was worse. So I'm just saying, yeah. like, there's not a lot of ways for it to go back. Now, we heard the story, shout out to Chip Brown, Horns 24 7, that they were doing some self scouting, found out they were tipping plays last this year. This is what I wanted which to finish is with. Also, yeah. something to me that it, it's. It's, it's disappointing for a lot of reasons if they were indeed tipping plays um, because I don't know how often coaches change plays. I will admit I've not talked to enough coaches to know how often they are changing signals and changing plays and all that kind of stuff. But if Texas is tipping plays and they're now just starting to change the signals and the way they send in and communicate the plays, yeah. man, <laughs> with the transfer portal being what it is these days, oh, yeah. right? so you have, you have players constantly leaving your program and coming into your program, mm-hmm. right? A lot of turnover there. A lot of turnover with support staff, not necessarily coaches. You got coaches, they got a lot of turnover there too, which also should be considered. But the turnover and support staff, you guys have no idea. All these analysts that are coming in and yep. out of your program, they come in and out and they don't, they don't, you don't want them to stay long and they don't want to stay long. But mm-hmm. they come in and get all your signals, all the information, and they want to go somewhere else and climb the coaching ladder. Yep. And what a better way to climb the coaching ladder to go, I got information. 
mm-hmm. on this school to help y'all get a dub. I mean, with that alone, with that kind of turnover alone, with the modern transfer portal, coaching turnover with support staffs, you would think coaches are changing their plays, or they at least the signals oh. periodically anyway. Now, we know there are examples of this happening at the highest levels mm-hmm. and and really it going you know, unaccounted for. We all know Bill Callahan famously didn't change the plays in the Super Bowl versus John Gruden and the and the Bucks when he was traded the first year. Spygate. And it turns out like, they didn't change the plays. So he's like, guys, they didn't change the signal. So everything I've told you, Rich Gannon is doing, that's exactly what he's doing. I think they went five picks. Yeah, John, Lynch, John, Lynch, John Lynch and Derek Brooks were basically calling their plays. Yeah. So, so, so there are examples of this type of uh, malpractice happening at the highest levels but here honestly at texas it's a little disappointing that first of all they didn't pick up on it earlier and it's disappointing that this was not already built in as a fail safe sarks changed jobs like i know you got to change the signals when you change jobs yeah you have to right hopefully (laughs) hopefully you do okay now then we got a bigger problem so he's changed jobs like what four times in the last 10 years he's been an oc in the nfl like that's they change jobs or something you change them then and he just got to texas guys two years ago so i'm assuming he changed the signals from coming to bama because he played bama yeah Yeah. definitely changed the signals then so my thing was you should change them you got to be changing them periodically anyway because you're changing jobs you should change them every year due to transfer. Or within the season. You got players that are leaving your program in in conference, mm-hmm. going to other schools, and you're not changing the signals? What are we – what? Are you serious? That's crazy. And by the way, that is not why you lost games last year. No, that's not why you lost games. No, no, no. That's not the reason that B. John Robinson got the ball 12 times versus TCU. That yeah. had nothing to do with you taking place. You, th- you in the Oklahoma State game – Overthrowing 14 overthrows because you're force feeding the football to X Man, a one handed receiver, who, by the way, was receiving passes from a one handed quarterback. We found it time too because he hurt his hand. In so the a one handed man throwing to a one handed man. In the worst right, wind nothing stadium. To do, nothing to do with you tipping place. That's yeah. just bad coaching. You in the in, in the bowl game, right? You not running any two back sets. You miscalculating the pitch count or the rep count for Jonathan Brooks, right? Those are not, in my opinion, those are not. The things that are associated with you tipping plays. That's now in addition to you tipping plays. But I think you lost games last year because of bad coaching at times or losing the chess match within the game. So I don't want the 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 the, the folks listening right there, the listenerships who are listening, to think that oh, so we lost games. He was tipping plays. No, 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 no. That's not why you lost games. That was part of the reason that you lost games. You were at a disadvantage because yeah. you may have been tipping An plays. No, no. Layer. You lost games because you failed to adapt and adjust in game to the chess match within the game. You are not yet a chess master. That's why Sarks was in game. So what don't let this be a blanket excuse. Oh, right. they were losing games. They were tipping plays. Now they've corrected it. They're gonna go out and win every game. No, 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 no. That's not why he he improves as a coach. That's why they'll start winning more games. And by the way, that improvement as a coach is also part of your self scouting. So I'm glad they found this issue, yeah. should have found it sooner. And why did you need the special assistance to confirm it? Why can't y'all confirm it? Why well, it should have been confirmed before that. And by the way, shouldn't have even been an issue because you should be changing those signals every year now with the transfer report. Even assuming, within assuming, the season. Yes. Assuming the, the information I got is correct, on, on Light the Tower, I had somebody text into the show who said their son worked at West Virginia last season. And the Suns' takeaway from game planning with the West Virginia staff against Texas was they were under the impression that everybody knew what their signals were because they weren't changing them. There you go. Exactly. It didn't help West. It didn't help West Virginia. No, it didn't. Exactly. 
baseball has a culture of yes. tipping pitches and I was stealing signs. Look at the Astros. It is. They literally have built-in fail saves where they give, they give out now misinformation mm-hmm. and disinformation to try to jam up the whatever system Third or sign, protocols of being able to decipher the signs. Right? They got that already built in. So Sark needs to either have that ready to go, built-in fail safes, or be changing your your uh, signals and your communication uh, methods a little bit more frequently. Like that's. To these, these days, it seems like that would be common sense because guys are leaving your program. Hell, they're leaving your program, what, every six months potentially? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't even get a year with them anymore. My my take on the, the, the signal issue was, you know, to explain, because we talked about it a few weeks ago. Like, there, I was struggling to find an explanation for the second half of games and why Sark, just, Sark is a different play caller in the second half, why he's a different play caller with a lead. All this stuff, and, and I, my determination on the the signal issue was, I can't be naive enough to think that it's not a factor, but like you said, Rod, it's not the reason. No, it can be a factor, but it's not the reason. Oh yeah, there's never any a sense? reason. Yep, like it's that. always a layer. There's so yes. many layers to these things that you can never just pick one thing and say that's what it was. Agreed. Yeah. So hopefully. But it also be Hopefully a good indicator as why you could struggle once you get outside that script. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not helping the situation. No, no, definitely. But like I said, I, there are a lot of things that I could point out that have nothing to do with you tipping plays. Oh, for sure. You just to, pointed out a your, ton of them. With your coaching, uh, your coaching like practices, habits, and methods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. It's not. <sighs> like I said, Bijan got the ball 12 times versus TCU. Like, come on. I don't. Yeah. You got to yeah. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> the year after you rode him to victory against the same team. You know what, Rod? You just said something right there, though. Honestly, like it's it's got to be it's got to be something in in preparation and scouting, because I, I go back to something we talked about a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the Alabama game, right? How how everything was just so different when Quinn went out of the game, and Sark really had to build something. You don't. You might have a package, whatever. You don't prepare a game plan for the backup quarterback to play. You just don't. You don't have enough time. Yeah. And that was Sark pretty much winging it at that point with Hudson Card. Mm-hmm. And we saw it, man. That was one of the better games Sark has called. It made sense. You could see what they were trying to do, and it made sense. Exactly. I just wonder if, and maybe this is part of the Paul Chris thing too, I just wonder if there was something in game planning, something in film study that he was just so sure of that when you got to the game, this goes back to your theory, Rod, of playing the man and not the hand, it or playing the hand, not the man, however you want to look That's at it, you it, that you were mm-hmm. so sure of it that you just kept hammering on it and hammering on it, but you were hammering on, hammering on something that wasn't there. It wasn't there. Yeah. It's like Oklahoma State's a prime example. Yeah. It's like, yeah. dude, it's not there. What are you doing? Like, I what? planned on this all well, week. Yeah. And, and their opponent— are, and, yeah, and these are sorry. These are predetermined throws. You can you you can say what you want about to everybody else out there. I'm I'm watching film. And I'm telling you, a lot of these throws were predetermined throws. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna say, well, it's really nothing. No, no, you were predetermined throws. He knew exactly where he was going. We mm-hmm. all know Quinn uses a one two read quarterback right now. That's what he is. That's just the reality of it. And a, a, a defenses know that too, right? So he's if he gets past, if you can get him past the second read, then then you got some real trouble. For Quinn Ewers. Yeah. And Sark knows that too. So he's why he goes with a lot of predetermined throws so he doesn't have to get past the second read. We know that. They know that. And I think in the Oklahoma State game, that was exposed. But he had those 14 overthrows. And in addition to the injuries on both sides. And yeah, so I do think tonight he's just, no, no. He's, he's not sometimes he's stubborn. He is stubborn. He's telling you. Mm-hmm. Even this yeah. year, we've asked him about the deep ball. After last year's inefficiency with the deep ball, he's telling you, no, no. We're going to keep throwing the deep ball until it works. <laughs> and that's basically what he's saying. 
And you know what? I'm not mad at him because his philosophy is a lot more effective when the deep ball is a part of the, the psychological trauma that he can inflict on the defense. But the truth is, when that deep ball ain't working, you need to dial it back because you're chasing waterfalls, right? Yeah. You need to stick to the rivers and the lakes that you're used to. Go quick game. Go uh, intermediate passes and get your quarterback in the groove and in the rhythm instead of trying to get the deep ball all the time. So, so sometimes I think he would work backwards. He would start with the deep ball, and then he would try to work backwards to the quick game. And I'm like, no, no, start with the quick game and work your way toward the deep ball. Yeah. yeah. All right, he's trying to get – because it starts the deep ball, and then guys will back up, and then he can he can run the ball, and he'll have more space within the offense. I say start with the quick game, and defenses, they will start creeping up, and then they'll give you space for the vertical passing game. And I yeah. think this year you're going to see more of that than him working backwards. Yeah, and that's just where it's having that sort of freestyle ability. It's like you can't expect for the opponent – to do exactly what you've seen on tape for your preparation <laughs> yeah, exactly. because yeah, that's your homework, that you did a great job, you need to do that. But you also have to understand that there's going to be times when they change and do stuff that they, you've never seen, mm-hmm. and it's the same way that we've heard them sort of you know, talk about, oh, you know, we can't win off schedule plays, and he sort of came around to being like, oh, well, you know, I did lose to Texas and Vince Young being off schedule constantly. Exactly. and like yeah. So, like, there is that part where, and I totally understand as a person that does a ton of research that it can be quite frustrating, like, when you evaluate it, you <laughs> see the data, it is exactly like this, why isn't it playing out this yeah. way when it comes to me? Exactly. But then you have to be prepared for whenever it's the unexpected, and that's what somebody like Shanahan's so great at because oh, he, he can be almost lost in, like, the artistry of being in the sport, like, in understanding, well, if he's doing this, there's going to be something that we have to respond with, so then anticipate what their response will be, and that's when you start playing the man instead of the hand and things along those lines. Yeah, and, and, and also I think at times, you know, you can be an emotional play caller. Uh, hell, Tom Herman guarded against this, right? His Mensa would tell him, like, I can't be on the sideline calling plays. I get too emotional because he would. He's, he's a little meathead in him. He wants Get to kiss drunk. players and, and headbutt guys. He's too <laughs> into it. Sark also, I think, is emotionally attached to play calling. Oh, yeah. Gets yeah. in the moment. Shano does too. I remember the game against Seattle in the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. Remember they had the dust up while they were coming yeah, on the, on the, first the half, field. Yeah. Go watch the next six or seven plays so they scored a touchdown. They ran power the whole time. <laughs> he was just upset. He's like, You want to mess with me? Yeah. We don't want power right down their damn throat. And I know Shano real enough to know he was upset about it. He was on the field actually. And then the second up. half was totally Plunger different. had a little altercation going yep. back and forth. And he wanted to kind of uh, assert his will mm-hmm. in that moment. And, so, and sometimes that's good for a play caller. Sometimes it's bad for a play caller. Yep. I do think Sark gets emotionally charged in the moment at times, and he's like, I, I'm, Makes sense. I'm, it's deep ball. I'm, I'm getting this deep ball, man. I'm getting, and he starts chasing it almost like, you know, Pookie is a crackhead in New Jack City. Yeah. He's chasing it, and I think ultimately him chasing it leads the team to go. It's a downward spiral mm-hmm. that he he leads the team down if he doesn't connect. And by the way, all those, miss, those, uh, those missed connections are not all his fault, by the way. Sometimes he dialed it up perfectly, and a guy dropped a damn ball, and he's like, I dialed it up perfectly. That's my deep ball. That's the one I want. Or his quarterback missed the throw on a wide open guy. So it ain't all Sark's fault. Sark's like, God, it ain't all my fault. I'm dialing up these nice shots. I'm scheming it up. The guy's wide open, running free. And then the guy either drops it or the quarterback either misses it. Don't be mad at me. Now, don't let that impact you. I feel you, Sark. And Sark's like, yeah, he's like, I'm not going to let that deter me. Because that's just human error. I can't let human error deter Mm. what a great game plan is. So I get it. But it's like when it ain't working, it ain't working. Mm -hmm. If it ends up being an L, the L is the L. That's all we're focused on. We don't give a damn about the human error part of it and all the layers to it. So that's what ultimately I think he's got to come back to and be able to rationalize throwing so many deep balls you take your, your team out of the game.
Yeah. Ma- yeah and after that happens, you have 30 seconds, call the next play. It's really hard to like have yeah. something like that happen, play out. And then move Brutal. Spots. Now go good. on and still be very smart about your play uh, calling on a play-by-play basis. My last point on it will be this. I've talked about the communication with the staff and how Sark mentioned he got more comfortable. That's why they were able to – plus the defense was better. It wasn't the S show that it was in 21. But he was. they were able to play more complimentary football because he felt more comfortable – on the headset with Jeff Banks and on the headset with PK, figured out what everybody needed. I, I, I don't, I don't know that there's that guy on the offensive side of the ball. Maybe it's Kyle Flood, but it, it hasn't, it hasn't shown itself that there's that guy that can tell Sark. Everybody, you know, we all have that friend that'll be brutally honest with you. Some for some of us, it's mm-hmm. it's our wives, it's your best friend, whoever it is, or your husband, whoever that'll be brutally honest with you. That'll tell you not what you want to hear. They will tell you what you need to hear. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, that was stupid. Why, why did you do that? And then you realize, yeah, it was stupid. Sark needs that kind of person on staff. And maybe Paul Chris can't have a headset. He can have a headset. He can't have a microphone. He can't have a communication device. Yeah. But maybe Paul Chris is that guy in Sark, and it's Sark seeing someone as his equal. Paul Chris has been a Power 5 head coach. He's mm-hmm. been a play caller oh, yeah. in big games. Maybe Sark sees Paul Chris as his equal to where now he'll feel comfortable with Paul Chris pulling him aside after driving. Sark, you got to stop throwing the deep ball. we got to adjust. <laughs> yeah. And now maybe he's the guy Sark will listen to. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. Like I said, it's – you know, at this point, we're being nitpicky about, you know, Sark's overall play calling strategies. And like I, said, I like the idea of what he wants. But when it's not working, as Matt talked about, you got to be able to adjust on the fly and yeah. go, all right, we'll come back to it. We'll come back. I, I'll table that. We'll come back. I got so many other things that are going to work right now. Let me dip into my bag a little bit and we'll come back to that play. Mm-hmm. And I don't I mean, we talked about this. He doesn't play the hits a lot either. No, because yeah. he doesn't come back. So I was like, table that play, table <laughs> that thought, come back to it. He never does that, and I don't see a lot of you know because he doesn't play the hits, which means a play that worked early in the game. You very rarely see start come back to it, mm-hmm. uh, something from his opening script. But he also, you know, in that same vein, I don't see him setting up teams a lot of the times. Yeah. I don't see a lot of Easter eggs in his play calling, meaning. Uh, when I when I go back in retrospect and work backwards, I can say, oh, he was from the fourth that that big play in the fourth quarter. He was setting them up. Go look at what he did in the second and yeah. third quarter. He was setting that play up. Yep. He he was playing chess when they were playing checkers. He saw five, six, seven steps ahead. I'm not seeing enough of that. Now we're asking a lot there. We're talking about now you going from being a top ten play caller to being elite. But we believe that's what it's going to take. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. The reason why I nitpick Sark, and some people might not like that we nitpick, but the reason why I do it. I feel, my personal opinion is, the ceiling of a Steve Sarkeesian offense at Texas is good enough to win you a national championship. Agreed. It's, and we see it in them. Yes. That's, that's the frustrating part. You see it in them. I see it when I watch the opening scripts. I see it with the creativity across the board and some of his kind of conceptual signatures and his money plays. I just want to see more of it. That's all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And if we you, see it and we know he could be great. I, exactly. These are just we'll the magnifications. And I've, got, I've gotten a question of, hey, are you guys, we talked about it on several podcasts ago. Are you guys too critical of Sark or whatever? That's, if you want to call it critical whatever, that's what we're talking about. These things that we're talking about, if if he does more of them, he gets closer to the ceiling, which, mm-hmm. again, it's the ceiling is best offense in the country. Yep. The ceiling is win a national championship with your offense. That's what the ceiling is for Sark. Agreed. So. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's a good place to end it. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Thank you, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 1049 1019 AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app at hornfm.com, where you get Rod B. each and every weekday on Ball Don't Lie with Mike Hart from 3 to 7. Plug. You can get myself and Craig Way on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, get our archives, find our classic interviews and shows on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Search Horns 24 7 anywhere you get your podcast. That's Horns. The number's 247, smash together, no dashes, slashes, or spaces. When you find the Horns 24-7 podcast feed, click that follow button. You get every episode of The Blitz when it drops. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.